You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the new Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Studio. Welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Even if our new studio is just the conference room, Joe, because they kicked us out of our old one. Somebody else is expanding it off. Oh, so this is, you guys didn't voluntarily move. No. They, they, they moved you. They did. Yeah. Our, our old studio is now someone's office. So, I, you know, I like to think of it as a promotion for us, too. This is a bigger yeah, room. It so is. I'll, I'll just keep spinning things my way. With the window. Yeah. Uh, training camp is concluded out in Westfield. We will discuss takeaways from the Colts preseason win over the Vikings. Look ahead to their preseason finale scheduled for Friday evening against the Lions. Game broadcast on Fox 59 in central Indiana, by the way. But we start off with some great news for Colts fans. And that is the fact that Carson Wentz is back on the field. And I'll include the fact that Quentin Nelson and Ryan Kelly are too, Joe. But uh, boys are back. They are indeed. And Carson should be back three weeks to the day after his foot surgery this past Monday. He's worked out with the team all three days this week. So he hasn't taken any time off. Mike, uh, the first bit of good news is that Carson Wentz is back. But the second bit of good news is he's worked out there for three days in a row. He hasn't had to rest the the foot after returning to a little bit more strenuous activity. So really two steps forward uh, this week for Carson Wentz in terms of uh, his uh, prospects of getting back to being the starter day one uh, of the regular season. Yeah. And what a contrast from, you know, Frank's first day at camp was August 2nd, I think coming back from the COVID and he's got Kelly out. And then he says, Oh, by the way, my quarterback and center or a left guard are having foot surgery five to 12 weeks. And then now they're out there. Uh, and with Wentz, he, he, you know, he did a lot of work last week as far as walkthroughs and, and, and stuff on his own. This week it was it was seven on seven and individual work, and he threw over 100 passes. The only thing he didn't do was teamwork. They don't want him to be out there right now at this point to where you can be stepped on, jostled too much, you know, in, in a group setting. And you say, well, how's that going to happen? Well, that's how Quentin Nelson got hurt. He got stepped on. So, uh I would anticipate teamwork starting next week. Um, I think they, they're back on the practice field Sunday. He's got two full weeks. Uh, the only thing that would keep him from starting is he ha- if he has some kind of a setback, I really think unrelated to this, because he, he's put three straight days together of heavy, heavy work. And I just think that, again, there was so much, I don't want to say doom and gloom, but, but pessimism, you know, on August 2nd, here we are where, this is they're really going into the season, barring something happening, with with a pretty good uh, uptick in in their step, which is encouraging, primarily with Carson Wentz, because like you said, no steps backward. Knock on wood. Yeah, I, I, Frank Reich said this week that he really felt that Carson was was a week ahead of schedule, Joe, in terms of uh, what what they had expected uh, internally about what he could possibly do. So, and, and from my perspective, and we've touched on this over the last few Colts Blue Zone podcasts, by the way, subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device every week. You'll be able to listen as soon as it drops every week. But we've said w- with the Colts history with quarterback injuries and with Carson Wentz's injury history himself too, it is better to keep things very much buttoned down and under wraps inside Colts headquarters. And 
That's why when Chris Mortensen's report a couple of weeks ago came out saying that things were looking really good for Wentz and they're optimistic he could start week one, I was questioning that saying, why would you let this get out? Because it only sets the standard. And now if he doesn't meet that, which wouldn't be completely unreasonable, the guy just had surgery on his foot for crying out loud, Mm -hmm. then it would still be viewed as a failure, you know? But, But now, as we have seen Carson out there, it's it's clear to see that he was ahead of schedule and that he was doing well. So, like, it's not that I better understand the report now. I still think it was dumb to let it out there, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, that he was looking good at the time. But now that we have our, our eyes on it, now we have our eyes on him and we see what he is capable of, uh, I think there, there's going to be nothing but optimism looking forward, even though Frank does say that Carson is not going to play this Friday, understandably so, against the Lions. You certainly don't want that um, in, in a meaningless preseason game. But... Now, I, I, it's going to be hard to turn uh, to stop the optimism train over these next uh, three weeks before or two weeks before the season actually begins. Yeah. And just, you know, seeing the highlights from training camp, it, it just looks like the whole atmosphere there is picked up a level. Um, and, and I don't mean to trash Eason or uh, Ellinger, but just seeing the way the ball comes out of Carson's hands and into his receiver's hands, as opposed to um, those other two guys is just completely different. It gives Colts life again, and I'm cautiously optimistic. You know, uh, the last few years have not been kind to Colts quarterbacks, mm-hmm. but this is looking good. No doubt. It, Joe, Joe again, from, from from practice, from being out there all the time, and again, it it comes off that we're trashing the other two guys, and I don't mean it that way, but I understand how people would see it that way, but it is just different. The quarterback, the, the 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 four best quarterback days so far in training camp have been these last three days, and then well four and a half days, and then Carson's first day and a half in camp. It's just different, and it's sort of I think we were all trying to to talk ourselves into at a necessity. That, well, if they have to go into there with Easton Erlinger, they could sort. No, it it just this just verifies that that we were trying to talk ourselves into something that, that really shouldn't happen because maybe one of these guys will be a quality backup, maybe even a marginal starter in the future. That's not now. It's it's just not. And that's to be understandable with one being a rookie and the other one being virtually a rookie. But it's just the ball comes out quicker. Uh, it, it, it's on target more often where guys run to the ball. A couple of deep passes today and, and even in the past we've seen so we're seeing, you know, starter quality quarterbacking play this past week, and that's what they need certainly to, to contend for this season, and certainly for to, to to survive that first four or five weeks of the season. Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus also back on the field today. He was uh, he missed uh, ten days, I think, with uh, COVID and COVID related protocols. Uh, Fully vaccinated, breakthrough case. Uh, Coach Reich said uh, the other week that that he felt fine at home. It was asymptomatic, so it's still good to see good to see Flus back out there with the defense. Um, number two, left tackle. It appears that we do have a starting left tackle. That someone has finally risen from the muck and the mire over there on that side of the line. Uh, and uh, Frank Reich said today that uh, Julian Davenport seems to be the guy who has taken charge uh, of that position. Mike, I don't think it, it is definitely a, a, an instance of of a guy stepping up. I'm, I'm not taking that away from Julian at all. But uh, to be perfectly honest, there wasn't that all that much to be stepping up from 
uh, judging by what we've seen over the past couple of weeks. So uh, this is this is their best of their current options until Eric Fisher comes back. But it is good to have somebody who is who has separated himself from the other players in the group. I, I assume you would agree. Yeah, and, and the best endorsement I can give is I didn't notice him in the Vikings game. I mean, yep. which, which is what that's what you want from, from your left tackle in a lot of positions where you just don't notice the guy. And let's keep in mind th- this is a this is a bridge to Eric Fisher. It is, and the, que- the question we don't know is how how long is that bridge have, does it have to be? I I personally think that when rosters are cut to fifty three, they will activate Eric Fisher. And the next day they'll place him on the they'll place him on IR, which is three games. If they don't do that, then he's really ahead of schedule. That means they think he can be back not for the open. I, I can't envision the opener. I just can't. But maybe game two, game three. I don't know. But uh, like my only problem with with Julian Davenport, and this is totally selfish, is whenever I type his name, I've got to figure out what keys to push. To get that little squiggly above his above the E in his name, so you know, I, in that regard, I wish Sam Tevy had gotten it because you know we're talking seven letters. But what you want is a left tackle, who yes, you're going to help in protection, you're going to do things to help him, but but it, it, the offense doesn't grind to a halt when when Costanzo's not out there. So uh, encouraging, and we'll see if. if if Tevi or if Davenport plays Friday, because and we'll get to it, where Frank mentioned his starters aren't going to play. Yeah. Well, well, Julian Davenport's your starter, so I'm guessing that Will Holden starts on Friday. And to tell you the balance in playing starters and not playing starters, and they need a little bit of work. If they had any, let's say that Dan Campbell didn't decide to do this, and the Colts started some starters. We had a play today where we Wentz throws deep to T.Y. Hilton. Great throw, and T.Y. goes up between two safeties and gets it. And 30 seconds later, he's in the back of the end zone laying down, being tended to by trainers. Now, you know, I, I'm guessing maybe he got the – it was just the shock of going down or the wind knocked out of him. But the idea of losing a player of that stature at this point of preseason or on Friday – you just can't risk it in today's NFL. Yeah. I, on that note, I, I would not think Davenport plays all that much, if at all, uh, on Friday. I think the the exact words Frank said were, we're not going to play many starters. Um, and I, it's hard to, for me to pick out which starters you would even consider playing. I agree. Yeah. Julian maybe, Blackman, maybe. I don't know. I mean. I don't know. Maybe you throw a corner out there because you, you don't have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. So, so we'll see. Uh, we, we, we will see. But, but from, from my money, he probably won't play. We'll see I, so if what, he so does. What, so what we're going to see Friday is all those Cincinnati Bengal games. Yeah. Preseasons past. We love them. We don't really love them. 53 man cuts are coming up. So that's they what are. the game's really about on yeah. Friday. 27, 27 players. Yep. Yep. Got to get down to 53. But before that, the Colts got down to 80 this week. And among those cuts, another player with a little squiggly above uh, his last name that Mike Chappell doesn't have to worry about uh, getting is Eddie Pinheiro. And that means, Joe, your boy, Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship is the Colts kicker once again. Was there really any doubt? I mean, come on, respect the specs. Either. 
<laughs> judging by how he kicked in the preseason, I think there was little doubt for some time. As much as Pinheiro kept hitting his kicks. And he'll get a job soon. Uh, I think so, because, I mean, y- you look, Joe, at what's happened in the preseason. And, like, I go back to the very first preseason game where the Steelers and the Cowboys were playing in the Hall of Fame game, and the kickers were just missing kick after kick after kick. And then the other week against the Vikings, uh, there's a kick that's missed uh, by, by the opponent. And I don't, uh, I don't remember if there was a kick missed in the Colts' first preseason game. I no. no? Okay. Anyway, uh, there have been missed kicks across the league. A lot of them. And, and with Pinheiro missing a grand total of zero and he had a pretty good rookie year with the bears. Pretty good. Not perfect by any stretch, but pretty good. Uh, his name just kind of fell out of the, uh, the fold last year because he was out with that groin injury all season long, got put on IR and never came back Can't kick with that. No, you cannot. But if you come back and you have a perfect preseason, I mean, geez, uh, you, you would certainly expect him to, to get a job somewhere. But, Mike, I, I know that you posted about this and the story. And, of course, I, I go into your mentions just to see what people are saying. And all of them are, well, why didn't the Colts try to trade him? And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal with that. Here's the deal. I'm sure the Colts asked, you know, they're not just going to take somebody and cut him. One our kicker. Exactly. <laughs> and the Colts know that, that, that he's, he's been perfect this season. They're not stupid. So, so to ask, why didn't the Colts try to trade him? Well, that's a dumb question, first of all, because I'm sure they tried to trade trade him. But as we discussed again here on the Blue Zone, so maybe I'm preaching to the choir because you all out there listen to us, so you you know what's going on. I say that, Guess any new dusting listeners. my shoulders off. Like we kind of talked about this. Teams are hard pressed to give up draft picks for kickers. They really are. And when he goes to waivers and he clears uh, and he clears them, and he might just be cut. I don't know if he's on waivers. He could just be kick, picked up. No, from he, he, he was he was waived. So he had to go through waivers. OK, so he has to go through waivers. And I doubt teams are going to use a waiver on a kicker like that. That's that's a pretty valuable spot, especially teams on the high end of the waiver wire. But then he becomes a free agent and then you can bring him in if you want to. Like there's going to be some talk between this team and that team for him. But a most teams think they're okay or want to trudge through and not spend any more money on a kicker, save their money on other players that go down. Uh, or b they they, they it, we talked. I'm just saying yeah. we talked about this. Every year, there's about five or six teams where their kicker situation seems to be a mess, and but the rest of the league feels comfortable with it. So there's not a large market to trade a kicker out there. Right. And especially, I mean, what were the Colts going to get? A conditional seventh round pick at most? Yep. And you weren't going to get more than a sixth or seventh. The takeaway is the Colts are in a great situation with their kicker spot. They are. Yes. Uh, I'll disagree one thing with you, Dave. I think he does get claimed and we'll find out about the time we, we get done recording. I think somebody will claim him. If I, if I'm a kicker needy team, and I'm and I'm near the top of the list of of waiver claims based on last year's records and all. That. I think it's the same as the draft, <clears throat> the draft order. Th- there really is no downside to, to claiming a guy. You claim his contract, which is non guaranteed. And the issue, if if I'm dra- if I'm fifth in the list and I need a kicker, I would rather get him than wait until he clears waivers. And then there's three or four teams that you, that you are sort of competing with. So. I think the Colts, if you remember yesterday, they announced two guys real early, uh, two two moves real early, and they didn't announce Pinheiro until a little bit later. So I'm sure Chris was on the phone. Yep. But again, if I'm a team and I need a kicker, I, I don't give up a seventh-round pick. But if I'm a team and I really need one, 
a seventh round pick to me would be a law a, a small investment in what could be a pretty important position Let, let's go back to 2019 you think kickers aren't important yeah and heck a seventh round pick can turn into michael strawn though yeah that's true. right I, I, you're right you're right but but if if i can keep if i can ensure myself getting a kicker who is at least at least competent i would give up a seventh round pick now and not think twice uh j- just because i i can rest a little easier on that position especially because if you're again if you're a team that high up in the order it means you're not very good and every point's going to be important so i i, I would have Certainly tried to trade him, which I'm I'm sure they did. And if I need a kicker, I really need a kicker. I would claim him off waivers, and not bat an eye. And I I really expect that to happen, but we'll see. Yeah, that was another another point I think we made before, and a point more I think I made last week is that like if you're if you're a good team or a contending team, to me, I think you'd be more likely to give something up. Like if a good kicker is the one piece you're missing. For, from my perspective, I think if you're a bad team and you're you're one of those top waiver claims. Like, you know, you're a, you're a bad team. You know, you're not going to compete. Like the, your dream is to to be eight and eight or eight and nine, you know? So I, I think those teams would rather place a waiver claim on somebody who's cut that can be more like a Zach Pascal type of guy or a Jack Doyle type of guy, a guy that you think you can bring in and be a good special teams contributor right away. And maybe somebody who can build into something more rather than even a kicker who could be with your team for the next eight years. He is young. He is. Yeah, he is young. I'll, I'll give you that. And, and Mike is completely, completely right. When you say look back to 2019 for the Colts and you realize exactly how important a kicker is because a, a healthy, competent kicker, would have uh, won the Colts two or three more games that year, at least two or three more games that year. Uh, and it, they just didn't have him on the roster that time, unfortunately. So uh, so we will see, as Mike said, uh, you'll probably see that, uh, what happens with Pinheiro in terms of waivers or if he goes through them later uh, today, Wednesday, as we, uh, as we film this podcast. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. I'm sure you'll be able to find it there as we uh, regularly tweet out Colts, Colts news and notes throughout the week. Uh, so, uh, more news from the Colts headquarters this week is that is Frank Reich said on Monday, the Colts are 75% ish vaccinated. Um, he said the number went up at the beginning of camp, but it's kind of trailed off since then. I'm curious to see if anything that happened this week with, uh, FDA given full approval will change either Colts policy or NFL policy or any players opinions. I don't think players opinions are the most obvious ones to change on this, to be honest, just based on it's been a long time and I don't know how much weight people give that, but, uh, but who knows? I don't, and this is not a, uh, what is it? This is not a medical, uh, podcast. So I'm not, and I think we are not getting into that too much, but if either of you guys had anything more to say about that, now's the time. I guess all I'll say is it's gotta be towards the lower end of the league. I would guess. If the Falcons have 100%, yeah. Falcons have 100%. I think double-digit teams are above 90%. Uh, last I saw, it was like 12 above 90%. Wasn't the Colts and Washington near the bottom? Uh, yeah, it was those two and one more. I can't remember the last one. And, and I, I don't know, and we, we've touched on this briefly. We won't spend much time on it for a lot of reasons, but I don't, I don't see the needle changing a lot for these guys. If they're roughly 75% now, I don't know how it goes up much because when you start cutting your 27 to get to 53 you're going to be cutting a lot of a lot of the marginal players who if their agents are smart they tell them to get vaccinated because one one thing was really really interesting 
it came up early in the week when we were talking to Frank, and I don't know who asked it, but it was it was about vaccinations and when when the decision comes roster wise and will that be a you know if two players are even do you consider which one's vaccinated and he he sort of didn't give definitive but he sort of did he said you take everything into account and availability is one of them and I thought he made it very clear that if you have two players that are just just equal just flat equal I thought he left me with the idea that the player that's vaccinated will be the player that's here. I, I, again, I don't want to read too much into it, but you've got to, you've got to have players available. And, and when one of the possible reasons you're not, it, it, it is a positive test where if you're unvaccinated, it's a lot, it's a lot stricter as far as getting back on the field. So uh, I, again, I just think that the, the players who are, un, who are unvaccinated, a lot of them are, we think so-called team leaders and veteran players. And I just don't know that you're going to change their minds at this point. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, it's where we are. And you just kind of hope that this is something that all the, all that they're doing, all the precautions are taken and all the information they're giving players and all this, that it will be enough. Uh, But to think that COVID is not going to impact teams Going forward, uh, you're delusional. The NFL 100 is a list of 100 top players in the NFL voted on by the players. Joe, is that are those the only voters or by the players for the players? Oh, the player. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> but it's being released over this past week on uh, NFL.com and via the NFL Network. Uh, three Colts uh, made their way into the top 100. So if you look at 32 teams, three Colts. That's Probably this week. Ryan Kelly made last week. He was. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So yeah. four players now have made the list. Uh, I forgot about that. Thank you. So uh, four players on there, but three came out there over this past week. Uh, Darius Leonard comes in at number 37 uh, in the NFL's top 100 players. And it's a big move up from him from last year when he was in the 50s. Uh, a significant jump of about 20 spots. Quentin Nelson at number 33. Uh, I think I saw somewhere that he's the highest ranked offensive lineman, or is it just interior offensive lineman? I think it's interior. Okay. I think he moved back a few spots. From he last did. Year. Yeah, he was in the 20s last year. Mm-hmm. So the disrespect for Quentin sends him back four or five spots into third into the 30s. And uh, DeForest Buckner had a significant jump himself. He was either in the 40s or 50s last year. He jumped up to number 27 after his uh, all-pro season uh, for the Colts and setting the Colts' uh, single-season record for most sacks, nine and a half from an interior defensive lineman. So uh, no argument from any of us uh, for all these players. And whenever I'm going through these top players, I'm always thinking about, like, 11 starters on offense, 11 starters on defense. That's 24. If you're in the top 24, you're one of the best players in the NFL at your position. If you're in the next 24, you're still an all-pro level type player. So, like, the top 50 are all all all-pro level type players. These guys are there. All of them are. And it's not not a surprise, Mike, to see any of these names as highly regarded as they are by other players in the NFL. No, and we can argue, should somebody be higher or lower? But making the list... You know, I, I always kind of caution a list from players. You know, everyone has biases. They, they, they just do. I don't call it a popularity contest, but, but to, to be on the list is outstanding. I think what's encouraging for, for the Colts, Rand Kelly's 27, to Buckner's 27, Leonard and Q are 25. So th- th- these are young cornerstone players uh, and you would hope that maybe you, you get a couple more next year. That, you know, Jonathan Taylor, 
you know, who knows about Michael Pittman? Uh, so, so it's very encouraging to see this and it's not been that long ago that you'd had a hard time finding four guys worthy to argue making the top 100. So the fact that there's four on there is cool. And it's even better that they're, that they're young players with, with gosh, six, eight, 10 more years to play knock on wood. So, uh, again, the, the arrow's pointing up in a lot of directions. Joe, who do you think is the closest cult to cracking the top 100? I know it can't be Jonathan Taylor because you hate running backs. So uh, who do you think uh, I might was going to say Jonathan Taylor. Whoa, Joe. I love running backs. My I just goodness. don't think he should give them massive Money. contracts. <laughs> <laughs> I love running backs. I just don't want to pay them. Exactly. Joe I just think it's poor team building. But no, I think Jonathan Taylor is very soon going to establish himself as one of the best players at his position, if not the league. Um, these kind of lists always have to be taken with some kind of grain of salt. Every Mm -hmm. year there's kind of some weird player where you're like, why did he make the list this year? Some, you know, recency bias. I think Devin White, the linebacker for the, um, Buccaneers was like up in the twenties and I get, he had a great playoff run and a great Super Bowl performance, but that just kind of screamed recency bias to me. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I would say Jonathan Taylor, um, Michael Pittman more. Kenny Moore? Kenny Moore is definitely deserving. He's the one player I would argue might be deserving to have made the list this year. Mm. Um, You know, in the 80s, 70s, something like that. I'm not sure what more Kenny Moore could do to make himself stand out besides having like a seven interception season, which I'm not sure is uh, completely realistic given that he's always playing on the inside on the shorter uh, routes a lot of the times. But Kenny Moore, Jonathan Taylor, I think Braden Smith is a very good right tackle, but I'm not sure he's going to get the notoriety of some of the left tackles. Um, wouldn't, you, those, wouldn't you like to see next year Carson Wentz crack in there? Yes. I was going to bring mean, him I mean, up if neither of you did. If, if, if he's what they what they need him to be, he needs to be top 100. I'm not saying 50, but 93 would be nice. Mm-hmm. I agree. Like you come in and you, you have a ni- nice, efficient, uh, thirty-one touchdown, seven interception season. Like, I get, I get, I, I get to live with twelve or thirteen interceptions. Yeah, me too. Oh, absolutely, I could too. Keep yeah. it under fifteen, I'll be happy. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So uh, news across the NFL. One one note for this week, and that it's kind of uh, uh, in tune with something uh, Chap was mentioning earlier. The last thing you want in the preseason or this last preseason game is to see a starter or an important player get knocked out. Well, the Jacksonville Jaguars will be without first-round pick running back Travis Etienne for this entire season as he was placed on injured reserve with a serious Lisfranc injury to his foot. And that's that was, of course, like when I heard that Carson Wentz had a foot injury or that Quentin Nelson had a foot injury, like that's the first word you think of if you're an NFL fan who has kind of followed uh, it over the years is Lisfranc. So that's just a dangerous word that will strike fear into the hearts of fantasy owners like Joe everywhere. Um, but no, no Travis Etienne for the Jaguars this year. Chap, the, the Jaguars were counting on him to be a very productive player for them. But you go back and they had a very productive rookie running back last year in James Robinson. It's maybe a position that was of strength for them. Not that you ever want to see anyone go down, but um, they were counting on him to be a game changer for them. And not just not just a quality player, but a game changing player, which is, is something that the Jaguars have severely lacked o- over the years. So you, you take out that piece already. And a team that's really trying to crawl out of the cellar is going to be a little bit more difficult to do with without this guy in the, in the lineup. It just makes it that much harder. And, and who knows what kind of a career or a season he would have had 
but for like you said, for a team that's that's starving for skill players, it's a major setback. And you know, it's one of those like we talked about with the Colts injuries. Nobody across the league cares, but that doesn't diminish the impact it might have on your season. And you just can't. And that's why I say, if you need reasons to not play starters, and I've, I, I, I would, I would argue kind of hardly or hard that it would be nice if Jonathan Taylor got hit once in preseason, just so the first hit wasn't, you know, in the opener against Seattle. But when you see this stuff happening, I understand totally why coaches won't do that. Joe, you had a ETN on any of your uh, fantasy teams that you've already drafted or have you drafted anything yet? No, hadn't quite drafted. Honestly, I was kind of avoiding the Jaguars just because I can't imagine why. Well, and they had so many other pieces. You know, they already had James Robinson. I think Urban Meyer is going to use Carlos Hyde as well. Um, so I, I just kind of been avoiding the Jaguars now, actually, I might look at James Robinson a little closer now that that running back pie is going to be, um, not so spread out, but no, it's unfortunate just because the Jaguars obviously took such a high pick on him because they had a role for him, uh, in mind, but, uh, you know what? It's good for the Colts because that's one less uh, exciting, explosive player they have to worry about twice this year. Also on, on news, on news they they named tra- uh, Trevor Lawrence as their starter. Shocking! Ding ding ding! Wow! <laughs> you mean Minshew Mania didn't get what, what? What was Urban Meyer doing? I mean, come on! I, I I understand that you have to earn your spot in this, that, and the other, but the idea that there was actually open competition for that spot after what they you know what they've got in Trevor Lawrence. Again, I, I I'm old enough to have gone through the Peyton Manning rookie year. You just play as long as he's not getting physically beat up, you play him. You know, and the Colts go three and thirteen. And I, you know, the the great trivia thing is Peyton lost more games as a rookie than he did in high school or college combined. But that season was invaluable. You let your guy play. You know, whether it's it's in Chicago or or, or even New England. Maybe not so much New England, but when you've got that guy and, and the expectations in Jacksonville are already low, barring him getting his head kicked in like like David Carr in Houston in what was it, 2002 when he got sacked like 300 times, you play him and he'll be better in the future because of it. What was the um, the best part to me of the uh, that quote-unquote quarterback battle between uh, Gardner Minshew and Trevor Lawrence was – Gardner Minshew saying he uh, he didn't even have number two on his mind and he he hadn't he hadn't gone number two in like a month because he wasn't even thinking number two <laughs> pooped in a month exactly. he doesn't do anything number two so so is it, you think he's gone number two now now he can go number two what what Thank a number God, two that would have been <laughs> maybe they'll just play some number three on the depth chart just because of that well what happens then oh my goodness uh let, let's head to uh look back on last week the second preseason game for the colts beating the vikings 12 to 10 on saturday in minnesota uh it was it was not fun to watch let, let's just be direct it was a it was an awful preseason football game um <laughs> with, with all due respect to preseason football games this was a bad one the the colts could not move the ball uh, there were uh, pretty glaring mistakes made uh, by the quarterbacks on both sides of the ball and by both quarterbacks that the Colts had trotted out there. Uh, I'll say this, that Jacob Eason looked better later 
but nevertheless, it was it was it was less than fun to watch Chapman at the time during a time when we didn't know if Carson Wentz was going to be available week one. Now, certainly more optimism. But back then, after Saturday's preseason game, there were not a lot of reasons to be optimistic about the Colts starting quarterback at the time. No, and, they get, and it, it was a perfect chance for either Ellinger to kind of say, OK, I need to be in this mix or for e- more, more so for Eason to build on what was a pretty decent opener against Carolina. But like, at least he took ownership of it. He said, Hey, it was basically pitch and catch. And I missed my guys. And, and he was right. What was he? Was he 15 of 21 and 13 and 21? I can't remember what it was. 16 of 27. Okay. That's, that's what it was. 16 of 27. Yeah. And I'm telling you, there were four or five where he flat missed guys. I, you couldn't tell if it was a drop pass or a bad pass, whether it was uh Granson or Strawn or whomever, and you're you're right. You had to leave that game not knowing Carson Wentz, his status, thinking, "Oh boy, H- how do you get through? Forget the opener, the first month of the season with these guys. You can again, you can cover up and help a left tackle. You you can just be creative. You can't cover up a quarterback who's not ready to play. So uh, that wasn't encouraging, and I. I, I I thought when they went out there to practice on, what was it, Monday or whatever, that Eason sort of took a step back again in practice. Now, whether that was because, you know, all of a sudden he's he, he's not in the mix to start, I don't know. But I didn't think it, it just showcased that his inconsistencies, which, again, there's so many reasons for it. But that doesn't, you know, excuse the fact that he's not ready yet. Although now you have to be concerned that if Wentz, with his injury history, encounters something during the season, how stocked are you? How confident are you in your backup quarterback? Yeah, I don't think it's I think it's still entirely possible, rather, that after this round of cuts down to 53, that the Colts do get a reserve quarterback get a backup quarterback. Which is August 31st, right? That's when the 53. It's next, next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, right. Gotcha. So we will we'll pod would be, either I next. I would be all for it. Yeah. And then then if you feel like you want to carry Ellinger on the practice squad, fine. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be the least bit opposed to bringing in a guy that, that if something happens in week one, week two, week four, whatever, this guy has been there before and – it won't just be a total emergency situation where what do we do now? Uh, I would be all for bringing in another quarterback. And and that's the difference between, again, a team that's either the Colts or the Jaguars. The Jaguars lose a big piece and they're like, okay, we'll make do with what we have because we were one in 15 last year. The Colts lose a big piece or have the potential to lose a big piece now that it kind of happened halfway there in the preseason without Wentz. And you saw what's behind him. You're like, eh. Like, what do you do if you're a team that's supposed to be contending for your division? Uh, you, you go out and you, you try to fix it, I think. I don't, and I'm not saying that that um, Chris Ballard has to. Like that, that's, I think that's, that's really strong. That would be too strong for me to say because that just completely it, – it, it shows disregard for what he would have to do, what he would have to give up. So like, if, if the asking price for something is too high or if somebody has better offers elsewhere, then obviously you don't do it. But at the same time – if if I'm Chris Ballard, I'm looking around to seeing what else is out there at quarterback over these next couple of weeks. Well, I, I think he owes it to the rest of the roster. Right. You know, don't don't I, I, we we take the owner Jim Ursay's comments with a grain of salt because he's always wanting the multiple Lombardis, which 
he should. But on a more realistic short-term level, they they believe this team is capable of doing something this year, something, whatever you think something is. And if that means having to win a game or two without wins, so be it. Would you like to have that Miami game back last year? You know, when, when Brian Hoyer, for, and there were reasons that he played poorly. The Colts didn't handle that right as far as preparation. But I just would hate for these guys to be sitting there early January and saying, boy, we really let that X game or the next game go because we weren't prepared. You're prepared with depth at every position as much as you can. Six receivers, three or four tackles, uh, pass rushers, and you're not adequately prepared as with a backup quarterback. And, and at some point, maybe Eason will be that guy. I don't think he's that guy yet. So I think you owe it to your roster to do whatever it takes to bring in a guy who can, in the short term, get you through a couple of rough games. I will certainly, Joe, be uh, would feel better about Easton than Ellinger uh, as a backup quarterback if it comes to that. Not that I feel great about Easton as your backup, just as Mike was saying. I just don't think he's he's proven that he can step in in that role yet and really uh, – be, be effective for you if you need mm. to come in in, in in the regular season, which honestly you need the opportunity to do that. And he hasn't been given the opportunity. So to be fair to him, just throw that out there. But uh, as I mentioned, Eason really did have a better time as he went along in this game, as he got a little bit more comfortable in the game, led them on the game winning drive in the fourth quarter, technically had a couple nice passes down the field to a tight end to Desmond Patman on the other side. So like I, at, so, so I, I want to say like, I can see them going that direction even if they don't have the opportunity or the ability to go out and getting a veteran backup. Yeah. And but I, I, I really don't see Ellinger as an option right now anymore. No, no. I mean, you throw and I get a few of them were deflected, but still, that's part of it. You're six one. You, yeah. You, you're going to be your interception. Yeah, you got to know that. Um, but yeah. And part of me just feels like if Easton would have started the game, he might've played a little better. I think coming in later kind of messed up some of his rhythm. If you're a backup. You might have to come in in the middle of the game, though. That's the thing. Yeah, exactly. No, no, absolutely. Um, I agree with you guys. I don't think Eason is ready for this year to come in and you feel confident that he wins games. I have hope that he can develop into a solid backup to, like Mike said, marginal starter. Um, but I think the Colts are going to be looking at who gets cut uh, next week to see if there's someone they can slide in who can win them a game or two as a bridge. Now, if, if Wentz is out for like the whole season, that might be a different story. Um, if something happens mid-year and he, he misses the whole season, maybe they just stick with East and see what he got and if they should move on from him entirely or not. But I and the Colts will be looking to see who gets cut next week. Well, it's going to be interesting is, is what what if we'll, we'll just bring it up and then we can talk about later next week maybe. What if Nick Foles is cut by Chicago? Which, by by all expectations, that's to happen. Do, do you do that? I, I wish I knew better the dynamics of, of Wentz and Foles in Philly. I, I don't know. It seems like there, there's this perception that they didn't get along, and, and, and I've got nothing to base that on, and I, you don't trust half of the stuff that comes out of unnamed sources in Philly. But we... I, I would I just would like to have somebody who one knows the system and two has played at a winning level and and that all points to to one guy. And I don't know what the uh, 
contract details are. I know I think he's got two years guaranteed. I think, but if but if he's cut, I, I assume the Bears assume the guaranteed money. So uh, the, the bottom line is they will have options, and if if they believe this team is what a lot of us do then you need to bring in somebody better than what you've got just to cover your butts. On the other side, other side of the ball, Quiddy pay made his NFL debut on the defense for the Colts had 16 snaps and one sack and Mike, a very impressive pass rush, pass rush move against the Vikings starting left tackle. So uh, some raised eyebrows for, for Quiddy pay there getting in the backfield and bringing down cousins very easily just swallowed him up there on that, that hit it was the best moment yeah. of the game. Might have been. Yeah, and again, he wasn't going against the Colts tackles. Yeah, he's he's been dominating. That, that that's their starting tackle. I know Christian Dershaw was out with uh, uh, was it a groin surgery or something? I can't remember what it was. Core surgery. I don't remember what it was. But th- this guy is their starter, and it was really important. That's why it was really important to like get Quiddy Pay out there last week. He won't p- play this week T- to get him to see. Okay, this this is the next level of competition. And September 12th is going to be another level of competition. But the, I was very, you know, as unimpressed with the quarterbacking as I was, I was really impressed by the pass rush. Yes, could he pay, but I tell you, Ben Banigou, you hit him for like, did he have the half a sack and one quarterback hit and two tackles? They must have been watching a different game. I thought he was in on half a dozen plays. He was all, he was in the backfield a lot. I'm really encouraged, cautiously so. Of Ben Banigou, we've seen you know a lot of preseasons where a guy's really looked good and then not made the team or not done much. But I think that maybe the light's gone on over his head and and maybe maybe this is a year that he really steps up and it's a factor. No, well, Banigou is definitely making this roster. He he's a guy who's having a, a great preseason. You would you wouldn't have said that no a month ago. No, I would not have. Uh, it's certainly not with that type of gusto or that type of confidence. And I might not have even said it at all. You're right. But uh, but yeah, you're you're completely right. It seemed like the for most of the second half, Banigou was in the backfield and, and pivoting back to, to Quiddy Pay, Joe, like if he only gets one sack on 16 snaps, you didn't hear his name called any any other time. You can live with that, as we've said on this podcast before with, with, with Mike, like looking back on. On what the uh, the Colts and guys like JJ Watt or uh, guys who have been strong against the Colts in the past have done before, like you can have 55 times during the game when when you're blocked perfectly, but if you get back there twice and make a game changing play on one of them, then then you had a great game, and that's what it is. So if, if Quiddy Pay can can do that and be uh, be a force on one out of 16 plays, that's actually a really good ratio. Yeah, if, if he can get a sack every 16 snaps, he could retire after five years and be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> I, I'm not suggesting that he will. I'm just no, yeah, not wa- at all. I, wa- I wanted to throw out there like the people might hear one in 16. That's not a whole lot. Well, one in 16 is actually a, re- a, a lot. It really is. No, but- that's, that's fantastic. He got back there, sacked Kirk Cousins. It wasn't like a backup who has you know no awareness yep. of what's going on around him. Um, I have really high expectations for Kudupe. I think he's going to be a I think he's going to be their best pass rusher who's not DeForest Buckner this year. Um, but I thought Bimbanagu looked very disruptive as well. It's good to have that depth. Um, Chris Ballard's a smart guy, and I know we're all kind of less than – we're a little uncomfortable with the unproven commodities on the edge going in. Um, but he, he 
looks like he knows what he's doing as far as right now. Of course, regular season is a completely different thing, and we'll see if it all pays off with all those young edge rushers. But as of right now, it looks like a good plan. Yeah. For sure. And I think Taekwon Lewis has looked good in the time that he, we've seen him. He's been on the on the sideline a bit over the last week. I don't think it's I don't think it's anything concerning. I say that knock on wood, uh, but I, I really think it's OK there. So we, we, those two are really, really the starters on the edge. So we might chap see Banigou a little bit, even in this preseason game, because he's not technically a starter. Um, it depends on just how deep they want to go on the defensive line and how much they want to give the twos action, because as as Eberflus says, I mean, they, they they play two full full groups there on the defensive line, on the in- interior and exterior. They really rotate them. Yes, there's a starting unit, but there, there's a unit behind them that sees nearly just as much, if not just as much action. Yeah, and keep in mind, as much as they're not going to play a lot of guys, you got to play a lot of guys. I mean, you, <laughs> play somebody. you just can't have your starting, your, your number two offensive line out there and play 60 snaps. Uh, but on defensive line, you're right. I mean, we're not going to see pay. We're not going to see Taekwon Lewis. We're not Kamoko Ture, which I wish he had played more. I wish he had played in preseason games because we still don't know. Did he uh, play against yeah, Carolina? I, I don't think so. Maybe he did. I, I didn't think he did. But but Bandigu probably does. He He's played, if not the most defensive snaps, close to the most defensive snaps in the first two games. And I think they just want to see if what they're seeing in practice is real or mirage. And he's really giving credit. I mean, we've been we've been critical of him for a lot of reasons, for justifiable reasons. But I just think that he's shown, for whatever reason, this sort of happened with Taekwon Lewis last year, where he was really kind of quiet for different reasons. I mean, he had injuries. I don't remember Banigou really having injury issues to speak of. But I'm, I'm like you. I, I I really like the known as opposed to, well, we really think that Quiddy Pay and Taekwon Lewis and, and Ben Banigou and Kamoko Ture with DeForest inside can give us pass rush. I, I would I, I always felt better like with the last couple of years with Justin Houston and, and Danico Autry because you knew. These guys you think you know, but you just don't know until you've got proof. Good thing is the defense has proven so far in the preseason that that it's a legitimate unit. I mean, it's, you can say it's just preseason football, but uh, to only allow 10 points is great. As much as we've been kind of ragging on uh, the Colts offense and quarterbacks, uh, the defense has been uh, been good enough to keep them in games. Uh, the only touchdown the Vikings scored was on an interception return for touchdown. So the Vikings didn't score a touchdown against the Colts defense. They got a field goal. Um, and what was the field goal on the other turnover? I don't even know. I don't remember. Uh, I don't think it was that early. I, th- I think it was actually later. I think they did get something, uh, later as, uh, driving. I, I believe I'm not positive on that. I shouldn't have said it, but anyway, well, and, and Darius Leonard hasn't played yet either. Exactly. And Darius hasn't been out there. Good point. But I mean, against the Vikings, they allowed just 227 yards on 53 plays, only eight first downs for the entire game. If you allow single digit first downs, uh, that's pretty good. So, um, who knows what the defense will be doing against the Lions? You're playing the backup Lions for crying out loud. So I'd hope I, I'd hope your numbers are, are are fairly decent, to be perfectly honest. But but we'll see what the scheme is. We'll see what the players do. We'll see just how much of the bottom of the barrel uh, the Colts will be scraping here, bringing out guys, or whether we will see players like a Banigou or like a Ture, or do we go down even a little bit further than that to players that you have to check the roster to find out. 
uh, who exactly is going to be playing. And I found that interesting, Mike, that uh, Frank Reich told us uh, today on Wednesday as we were speaking with him that he was open to the idea uh, of playing his starters a little bit at least in this final preseason game. But uh, after talking to Dan Campbell, the new head coach of the Lions, who uh, is maybe one of the biggest animals in the NFL, uh, he just, um, he, it's only going to be reserves on their side of the ball. So, uh, Frank is now heavily leaning toward no starters Why or would, very few, limited number of starters. Why would you play your starters when the lions are going to bite their kneecaps? Yeah. Know? Right. That, that'd be dangerous. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was interesting too. Cause Frank had talked in the last few days that he thought that some starters would play, but th- that's what the, one of the few things that are, that you don't notice during preseason games, how coaches do get together. And they sort of coordinate, you know, what's it going to prove for Frank to play, you know, selected starters in a game to what, to, to, just to get the snaps. I understand that. So, uh, but again, this is going to, this is going to resemble so many of those Colt Cincinnati bingo games in week four of preseason that you just hope that, that somebody rises because there'll be somebody that reinforces his roster spot. But you just hope that that key backup that's going to play comes out unscathed because, again, the worst thing is to have somebody hurt in that last preseason game, anybody, but especially somebody that that in your mind is going to be on the 53 and you think can be a contributor, either special teams, as a backup, whatever. Uh, again, with receivers, it, it, it's a really, really interesting and deep group and I, I assume Strawn plays. Ashton Doolin to me needs to play. Patman plays. So I, I think that that fifth and sixth receiver spot in my mind is still wide open. And this is a chance for that that guy to sort of cement his 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 evidence in the eyes of the uh, personnel staff. I completely agree with you there, chap, that that is that is the most intriguing part of this last game is the end of that wide receiver group, the five, the six, uh, whatever it might be. We 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 go into this knowing that T.Y. Hilton's a lock, Michael Pittman, Jr., Paris Campbell, Zach Pascal, all locks one through four. After that, you figure Mike Strawn has played his way into a roster spot. And then Ashton Doolin and Desmond Patman might be uh, battling for that last number six spot. If they if they only carry five, Joe, I would be stunned just because of the depth of this group. And they've had six in the past. They, they've got to carry six on this roster. And it's probably between one of those two guys. I would think so. And I think aside from, you know, obviously their play as wide receivers running routes, their play on special teams, too, because if Strawn and Patman can prove that they can be good special teams contributors, maybe they keep those two and let Doolin go if they can show that they can play that role as well. So um, I think that's going to be an intense battle. I thought Patman uh, looked a little did, did more than Strawn than this past week against the Vikings. I agree. Um, so and Patman's been consistent throughout. I think Strawn has the higher upside and has made more flash plays throughout camp. Um, and had the highlight catch against Carolina, but kind of disappeared against the Vikings. So I think if either of those two guys, and hopefully both of them, can play well both on offense and special teams, maybe they get those final two spots and Doolin's the odd man out. Well, And one thing to keep in mind uh, with the roster cuts to 53 is we're we're still under the same rules practice squad-wise. 16 players. So the 27 you cut on Tuesday, you probably have – intend on bringing 12 back, I don't know, to, to the practice squad. 
in what you have to decide, and they did last year with, with Patman. Remember, Des Patman was on the active roster all season, and he finally suited up against Jacksonville in the last game. And I'm sure it was because they did not want to expose him to the practice squad yep. and lose him. And may, maybe that's what one of the things you, you weigh when you cut to 53 is, okay, we really like our seven receivers. Which one of these final two guys can can we not risk losing? I mean, if you put Strawn on waivers with the practice squad in, in mind, you lose him. Is it the same with Patman? Okay, maybe. But I, I've talked myself into them waving Doolin with the idea of bringing him back to the practice squad. And then what you can add three practice squad players for game day. Yeah. And to me, that, that makes the most sense. The least risk involved is, you know, it, it would probably be a, something of a hit to Doolin's ego, but they get over that real quick when you're, you're out there on a Sunday. But keep strong, keep Patman. Wave Doolin, bring him back to the practice squad with the idea that he's going to be a contributor all season on game day. Uh, I'll tell you this. If Doolin is cut and goes to the practice squad or is at least uh, open to somebody else taking him, I'll bet Bubba Ventrone will be too happy. I, I really, I we, really. We talked to him that one day. He, he was really great. He said, I'll, I'll go to war over yeah. guys. Uh, but th- at the same time, th- then uh, all votes aren't created equal and all voices aren't the same. But uh, it just shows you how. The Colts do value special teams. They do. And it's really kind of cool that Bubba's got such a strong voice, and I'm sure they listen to him. But when it comes down to, well, which one can we slip through the practice squad, to me it's Doolin. Yeah, he seems the least likely to be claimed by another team. And I'll add this, Joe, to your point about the special teams. It was it was Desmond Patman last week that caught the ball inside the five-yard line on that Rigo Sanchez punt. So he's out there gunning. Right. Literally, maybe literally gunning for a job, yeah. gunning to secure his job out there. So if, if he can prove that he's capable on special teams, then that makes Doolin a little bit easier to cut. It makes it just a little less of a burn to you, a little bit worse, less of a bad taste in your mouth, uh, because you know what he can do on special teams. You know his talent out there. So if Patman can be serviceable, if if, if Strong can be serviceable, uh, then then it would go a long way in, in in seeing what they can do. So we'll certainly be watching for that on Friday evening game kickoff at seven o'clock Colts against the lions in Detroit. Uh, join us. If you're uh, in central Indiana on Fox 59 at six 30 for the blue zone pregame show, I will be live at Ford field. Our Chris Hagen and Chris Whitlick will be here in studio uh, anchoring our coverage, leading you right up to kickoff. But we do thank you for listening to this Colts Blue Zone podcast. One more reminder to subscribe. Get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as we drop. Uh, for Joe Hopkins at Roto Street Joe and Mike Chapel at mchapel 51 I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow me on Twitter at DaveG underscore sports. We thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.